Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm doing a new program that I'm calling Wednesday Night Chats. This is a Facebook Live that'll be happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on my business page, which is on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. I hope that you'll join me over there. We're going to be talking about basically all things what to do with dogs in a pandemic. How do we prepare our dogs for when our lives go back to normal? How do we socialize puppies right now? And... If we can't get out to do a decompression walk, what are we supposed to do? So join me over there. It's a free program, but I am accepting donations for it. All the details will be included each week. So that's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. See you there. All right. Hey, friends. Today we are going to talk about something that kind of comes up in my world frequently enough that I thought, hey, let's let's do a podcast on that one. Um, and it's essentially how to know if your training, your cueing, your whatever is working. So where this came from was kind of the the insistence from some people training their dogs, you know, namely maybe my clientele or just kind of dog people of the internet at large. The insistence that um, the dog should be doing something other than he than what he is doing. So meaning um, the dog's breaking his start line stay or breaking his contacts um, on course or perhaps the dog is barking and lunging at other dogs, you know, fill in the blank undesirable behavior. And the person is not sure why this behavior is persisting because they are in their mind doing something about it. So there's a few different things to address here. And the first is that anytime we are training, the smartest way for us to go is to collect our evidence or our data and then evaluate, recollect data again and reevaluate. It is a try, collect data, evaluate process, and it just needs to continue on that loop. Um, I recently heard Emily Johnson Vey say say this so, so smart. She said, um, your expectations are getting in the way of your observations. She said that on uh, Hannah Brandigan's podcast, Drinking from the Toilet, and that I'll link in the show notes. And why that struck me was because that was the most concise way to say exactly what I've been feeling, which is that when something feels like it's not working, meaning you give a cue and the dog does a different thing, or... um, you know, you put the dog in a situation and the dog does something other than what you thought you had trained him to do. If you continue to do what you've been doing and continue to expect certain results, then you are allowing those expectations to cloud your observations that the dog is not doing the thing. So a few examples might be 
that the dog misses a weave pole entry pretty consistently in trials. And the handler says to their trainer, but he's trained. He knows that weave pull entry. And I, I have trained him that weave pull entry. And now your trainer is in a tricky position because the evidence is counter to what you are saying. If you're saying, but he's trained, but I know he knows it. <laughs> you know, if you're saying that, but the evidence is such that the dog is not demonstrating that he is capable of doing what you are asking him to do, then the only real information you have is that evidence. So it doesn't actually matter how many repetitions of that weave pull entry you believe you've done and reinforced in the backyard. If the dog can't make that weave pull entry in the trial, then the dog doesn't have the education that you believe the dog to have. And what that means is that you may need to peel back these layers and say, you know, what's the difference really between the way that I'm acting in the ring and the way that I'm acting at home? And I would go that route rather than blame it on the ring as kind of a blanket um, thought. A lot of people just go, oh, well, you know, ring stress or, you know, ring inexperience. Well, in reality, it should be the same behavior the same cues and if they if it isn't if that's not lining up that's what needs to be fixed not um, not quote unquote more ring experience so the other um kind of phrase or statement that i'll hear is i've been doing this since he was a puppy you know i've been doing this forever you know i get these emails that say my dog has an arousal problem or maybe they say my dog has an impulse control problem and don't worry, because I've been doing, you know, fill in the blank impulse control training program uh, since he was a puppy. So obviously my dog's defective. Obviously there's something wrong with my dog because I've been following, you know, this person's program since he was a puppy. And this person claims that their program is going to avoid these problems for me. And so once again, you guys, if you've been doing it forever, but the evidence is that the dog doesn't have the skill set you like him to have, then what you are doing is not working. Um, I kind of tongue-in-cheek said recently, you know, if you ask your dog to do something and they don't do it, that's him saying that he can't do it. So I'll say, you know, don't ask your dog to do something he can't do. And how do you know he can't do it? Because he's not doing it. Okay, they don't, my friend Megan Foster likes to say, they don't go get it wrong on purpose. Nobody gets it wrong on purpose, right? So if you're asking for a specific behavior or skill set and the dog is not doing what you're asking, then the evidence is going to suggest that you need some reevaluation and you need to allow your observations to rule what you do next rather than your expectations. And I get stuck in this trap too, you guys. You go out into a training session and it's like trying to shove a square peg in a round hole and nothing is working. Understand that your expectations might be the problem rather than um, the dog's quote unquote knowledge of what it is that you're asking him to do. So another really common place that this might show up 
would be um, when people maybe have a, a broken start line stay, meaning that in trials, the dog reliably cannot stay and they like to parade around in their class saying, but look how good his stay is in class. And once again, you're trying to place blame where it does not belong. You're saying there's something wrong with the dog or there's something wrong with the trial environment. Everything is all back on you, the trainer, right? So we have to teach them what we need from them. And if we believe we've done so, then we can test it. And the trial is a test or should be treated as a test. But the test does you no good, you guys, if you don't actually read through the test and have a look at your results. So if you train your, you know, your start line stay or stopped contact or whatever, and you go to the trial and it's your expectations are not met and your observations tell you that there's something still missing here, you need to go back to the drawing board. And it should be the training drawing board, not the, well, let's enter all the trials I can so that I can give my dog experience. All you will do in that situation is give your dog more experience, honestly, doing the thing wrong, most likely, because the dog just demonstrated for you that he can't do it. Because how do we know he can't do it? Because he's not doing it. So if you're having any kind of behavioral issue that you believe you have quote unquote, maybe trained your dog better than that, or you have prepared your dog for it, you, you believe in your mind, but the dog is demonstrating that you have not. Your only choice is to swallow your ego and go, oh, clearly my dog doesn't actually understand this. And go forward with a different training plan. And if you are saying, oh, but I'm stuck, Sarah, I don't know what the training plan is, well, that's where there are professionals to help you. That's why people pay private trainers. It's why people take um, online courses. It's why people continue to push with their education and continue to try to learn more because none of us have all the answers all the time. I'm the first person to reach out to a colleague if I need help. Um, and I didn't, you know, it wasn't always this way. It's an uncomfortable thing to reach to a colleague and say, hey, I thought that I trained this. I clearly didn't. Can you have a look at it with me? Um, nothing better than that, you guys, to be able to just get a second set of eyes on the situation. And sometimes a third set of eyes and sometimes a fourth and that is not failure that is the opposite of failure that is true growth is reaching out reaching into your cabinet and saying to the people in there hey have a look at this for me because i my expectations apparently um are clouding my observations and it's just an important important thing to always be always be considering the dog is only ever going to show you what he actually knows and you know quote i'm putting nose in quotations because that just means what his learning history is informing him to do so his learning history will inform him in any given moment and you have to respect that that's all that's happening here and nobody is giving you a hard time and the dog is not getting it wrong on purpose ever the dog is instead simply demonstrating what his learning history um 
has has taught him or demonstrating what his learning history is informing him to do in that moment. So just a shorty for you guys today to talk about that. Um, and now we'll jump into some Patreon questions. All right, the first one comes from Bridget. I have a one-year-old female border collie that has, a f has had a few episodes of reactive behavior to people with wheeled objects. So strollers, carts, etc. But only when very close proximity. If we're on a trail and we pull over, she's able to sit stay and let them pass with no problem. But if I try to walk past them, she will bark, try to turn and nip or snap at the wheels. I'm assuming that her motion combined with a fast moving object is just putting her into a higher arousal state than she can handle. Would going to a park with lots of bikes or skateboards be beneficial, similar to dog park TV, which I talked about in Barky Lungy 101, um, or would that be flooding and overwhelm her? So Bridget, thanks for your question. I'm not going to speak to whether you might be flooding her or not in, in any given situation, because without seeing the situation, I can't actually know for sure. Although taking her to a skate park feels like flooding to me. <laughs> um, this is really, really common. And I often say that, you know, if dogs are concerned about something in any way, shape or form, and I'm just going to use the word concerned to have to be kind of a blanket label on a dog that might act in a way other than totally neutral to a thing. And your dog is certainly not acting neutral towards wheeled objects. And it's super common for our little, our silly little border collies that have to live in suburbia with us. Um, is anytime they've got a concern, they have to be able to take in the information about the concern. And if they are in motion, they are less able to do so. So that's why your dog can do a sit stay while the thing passes, but cannot walk past the thing. So I would keep doing the sit stay with a high rate reinforcement um, until you start to see her care less and less about those things. And then if you can arrange it to where you are working on her passing those things in motion with great distance. So maybe you have a friend wheel a stroller on the opposite side of the street while you walk past and reinforce and then you can slowly move it closer because basically going from a sit stay on the side to walking right past the thing is lumping and we need to be splitters, right? So if we're lumping, that means that we are lumping our criteria um, into this one big ball and expecting the dog to meet all of those um, expectations for us. Instead, we need to split that ball into little tiny pieces so that we are helping the dog understand each individual piece. So think of it like that. Think of it in the sense that, you know, maybe if you are an agility trainer um, going from doing a puppy jump grid with jump bumps to jumping, you know, an international jump height the very next day, you would understand that that's not smart. Same goes for trying to go from sitting on the side watching something go by versus walk right past it. So the dog needs splitting and in the situation that you cannot split, I would continue to pull the dog over. This one comes from Kristen. I would love to hear what you recommend for a getting home from work routine. I know my dogs anticipate that my return from work in the evening could mean that they get a training session or loaded in the car for a walk, etc. Undoubtedly, there are times that they don't get to do anything either. Is there a way to help them understand or at least have less expectation about when we might work versus when it is going to be a night of boredom? So good question, Kristen. I think a lot of people probably have this question. First of all, understand that 
when they've had a day of nothingness and you come home, that is going to be exciting for them. And you do want to be watching those operant behaviors. You do want to be reinforcing calm behaviors. However, know that it's kind of not fair for us to not... Um, to not do anything at all with them. So at the very, very least, you can maybe do some kibble scatters in the backyard, right? So like not a big deal, but out you go, have some kibble scatters. Or here's a snuffle mat with some kibble in it. You know, at the very, very least, providing their dinner in such a way that is enriching. I, with my guys, basically try to avoid a lot of um, predictable routines, meaning that whenever I come home, they may stay in crates for a little while longer while I get some work done, or they may come right out. Um, sometimes they're gonna get in my car and just go to the bank with me, but sometimes they're gonna get in my car and go for a hike. So things like that, so the dogs don't get too attached to precursors. But I would also work on having, like you mentioned, clear cues about, no, mommy's just going to relax now. Rather than saying, this will be a night of boredom, kids, just focus in on when you sit on the couch with a book and maybe a cocktail, that means the best idea for dogs is to go lay on dog beds and that you might chuck kibble at them if they go lay on dog beds. Or you might at some point get up and take them for a hike if they go lay on dog beds. So that um, laying on dog beds in the living room is something that happens more and more and more. So, but if your dogs are super antsy when you get home, and that may be why you're asking this question, I would try to look at it as a meeting their needs standpoint rather than a, you know, they need to not have any expectations standpoint. Because if they've gone from a long day of nothingness to somethingness because you just came home and you are the bearer of the fun things for dogs, then you are probably going to see some behaviors that you aren't necessarily in love with. And I'm going to say that that's okay. But what you want to be focusing in on is just, okay, tonight we're going to go for a walk. Therefore, I'm going to immediately put the dogs in the car when I get home. And then I might go through, you know, my getting home routine after they're in the car. Or tonight we're going to do some training. So I'm going to come home and set up that space so that that's what they know to expect. But the big thing to focus in on is what they are doing when you provide the fun for them because reinforcement drives behavior. So I'll give you an example. I will give my dogs breaks outside during the day. They're usually chilling in my office with me, but I do that deliberately when they're lying down, leaving me alone so that they are more likely to lie down and leave me alone in the future. And I let them out of crates after coming home from an absence once they have calmed down about the fact that I came home, not right away. Um, of course, you can't do that, do those things, have those expectations if you haven't also met their needs every other day of the week. It will be harder for them to be calm if they are super deprived of what they need. I know Chris and I know her dogs are not super deprived of what they need. So I think it's fair for you to maybe come home and you know sit down and have some 
quiet time before starting anything with the dogs so that they don't have these huge expectations and just you know it's possible that you might just need permission from me to give them some boredom sometimes it is okay when you've had a you know a terrible day to come home and do nothing i kind of have a training and walking routine that i would train one day and walk the next if I am not mentally capable of training that day because I am stressed about something or maybe I'm having a chronic pain flare up or whatever, then I don't train them and I that is okay. So I let that go and that's all right. So if you have further questions, Kristen, about what these dogs, what their expectations look like for you, then we can maybe dive a little bit deeper, but that is my answer as it stands. Next question is kind of a long one, but it is chalked up. It is from Stacy, and it is chalked up essentially to um, that long lines are giving her major problems. So the dog is a German Shorthair Pointer Border Collie Cross. Um, she says she's reactive. I'm not sure what that means or what it's directed at, but we can assume that it's a dog that needs to be managed somewhat. Uh, she is muzzle trained, and that's great. So she's trying to walk the dog on a long line and a harness. Um, and I probably in a muzzle, I'm not sure. And the dog is like bolting to the end of the line and pulling and, you know, bungeeing all over and dragging you around. And I have definitely walked dogs like this and it is not fun. I actually, my body hurts just thinking about it. Couple of things, Stacy. number one, I would really try to prioritize having places this dog can run without the long line. This is why I hate long lines. Um, I love them in the sense that they can afford the dog kind of a middle ground of freedom, but my goal is always to get rid of it as fast as possible. There is not a world in which I would be happy keeping a dog on a line its whole life. That would not happen. Felix had to wear a long line until he was like six or seven months of age, which is way longer than normal for one of my puppies, and it was hell for me. <laughs> um, and it's just because he wanted to go visit everybody. Um, and so I want it gone as soon as possible. So here's what has to happen in order for that to be gone. You need a safe area, right? So check out uh, Sniff Spot, check out privately owned land if you can. Um, but you also need an excellent recall. So I would be focusing really, really hard on the recall training rather than the long line handling. Because if the dog also does not have knowledge of leash, leash pressure equals yield to leash pressure, if they don't have that background, then they are just going to rip you around on the long line. And it is not gonna be fun for either of you because it's actually gonna be really frustrating for that dog as you can imagine, really frustrating for you and just really not fun. Um, it sounds like a dog that has, that's very hunty. It's a short hair pointer cross, so that's to be expected. And the dog needs to investigate everything and sniff everything and run around. And so I would really prioritize getting the dog off the long line. In the meantime, you probably want to do some training that indicates to the dog that pressure on the long line is, is a cue to return to the human. Um, I had mentioned it in a previous episode, so there will be some videos about that posted on Patreon for you, Stacey. But generally speaking, your answer is to get away from the line, not to do something different with the line. All right, and that's it for this week.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. 